0: As I mentioned today, we're coming to the end of our series. And if you don't know what a series is, it's just we take a topic and we talk about it for a couple of weeks. And the series that we're wrapping up today is the series on becoming great people. Now, I realize that some of you may be here this morning and you may be saying, well, you know, I've been here all six weeks and I don't feel like a great person. I don't feel like, in fact, pastor, if I could be honest, I am worse today than I was six weeks ago. So maybe your chat on this whole becoming a great person isn't working. Well, here's what I would answer to you. Even if you don't feel like a great person, even if you've maybe taken backwards steps towards becoming a great person. Here's what I would say to you. The potential to become great is there inside of you. All you need to do is tap into it, is develop it. That, that's the reason most of us do not achieve the greatness that God has for us, because we don't tap into it and we don't develop it. We've talked about five characteristics of great people. I'm not going to repeat them. If you've missed any of them or you want to listen to them, you can go to our podcast. You can go to our website and they're free uh, for you to listen on there. So, But I do want to talk about the sixth and final characteristic of a great person. And that is this great People complete the mission. Great people complete the mission. I I I know some of you don't like doing this, but, but if, if if you would entertain me for just a second, would you look to your neighbor, the neighbor on your right and the neighbor and the neighbor to your left and tell them you have a mission? And and, and here's what I want to tell you, okay? Here's what I want to tell you. This mission is not just for some people. It's not just for the pastors. It's not just for the church leaders. This mission is for everybody. Now, let me tell you what mission. Let me explain the mission because you may be thinking, well, the mission here is to get all of our money. Or the mission here is to, uh, you know, start another service. I don't know. But let me tell you what mission I'm talking about. Our English word mission comes from the Latin word For sending. Okay? So when I'm talking about a mission, I'm talking about being sent. Now, listen to this. For those of us that are already Christians, Jesus doesn't only call us to come to him, but he calls us to go for him. Can I say that again? I thought that was powerful. Jesus doesn't only bid us come to me, but he also commands us to go for him. Listen. As the time to be crucified was coming near for Jesus, he prayed to the father. He prayed to the Father, and John, uh, who is known as the beloved disciple, John, who who, who was one of the uh, twelve original uh, disciples of Jesus, recorded this prayer in the biography that he wrote of Jesus. Because he wrote a biography that we call the Gospels. And look at what Jesus said to the Father. Look at what John records. Jesus saying to the Father regarding you and me. It's right there in your outlines in John seventeen eighteen. Look at what it says. In the same way that you gave me a mission. Now, this is Jesus speaking, right? And he's speaking to the Father. He says, in the same way that is powerful. In the same way that you gave me a mission. And we're going to talk about what the mission of Jesus was. As you gave me a mission in the world. Look at what Jesus says. I give who? Them. Them. Who's them? us you guys are smart people i give them a mission in the world now what was the mission that jesus had well jesus after he died and resurrected on the 3rd day and before ascending to heaven he gathered his disciples and he told them the following look at mark 16:15 look at what jesus tells them before he ascends back to the father he says go into all the world, and preach what? The good news to everyone. I want to ask you a question. If you were moments away from passing into eternity, and that's just a nice way of saying you're going to die. Um, If you were moments away from passing into eternity, what would your last words be? Make sure to put the toilet seat down. Make sure to be home by 11 p.m. Nothing good happens after 11. Make sure not to touch my car. No, we wouldn't waste our last moments on useless stuff. Here, here's what I think what I think would happen. Your last words would be about what matters most to you. Wouldn't it? Wouldn't your last words to your loved ones be About what matters most to you. You would not waste your last moments on petty stuff. You know what my last words would be to my wife and kids? Don't lose faith in Jesus. I wouldn't care how my wife. Make sure you keep the budget. No, that wouldn't matter to me. No, you know. I would tell her. I would tell my daughters and my soon-to-be son. Don't lose faith in Jesus. The last words of Jesus were. Go everywhere. Go to everyone everywhere. And let me pause right there. That's love. And we're going to talk about that. Go to everyone everywhere. And share the good news. That's power. And here's what Jesus is telling his disciples. And he's telling you and me this morning. Jesus tells us that we are to carry on the mission. That we are to carry on the mission. Now, let me tell you a little bit more about the mission before we go and talk about some specifics of the mission. The mission is not a test. Okay, this going out to share the good news it's not a test. It's not like, well, let, let's tell them to do that to see if they'll do it. No, that, that's not the way God thinks. This is not a let's keep them busy type of task. OK, it's not like God saying, well, I'm preparing the homes up there in heaven. They're not ready. So let's just keep them busy. No. OK, this mission of sharing the good news to everyone everywhere is birthed in the heart of God. God. It's birthed in his heart. It's, it, it is born in his heart. And Peter, one of the other 12 original disciples of Jesus, who got to know Jesus in a, such a personal way, in such an awesome way, he wrote the following about Jesus in one of his letters. In 2 Peter 3, 9, right there in your outlines, look at what it says. This is Peter speaking about Jesus, and he's talking about his return, right? Because some people are saying, well, Jesus is not coming back. He, look at what he says. He says he isn't really being slow about his promise returned. You know, and people may have already told you it was like, well, you know, Christians have been saying Jesus is coming, Jesus is coming and he isn't coming. You know, um, side note. Um, one of the things that I, I, I like to teach my daughters since they're little is that I, I like to tell them that Jesus lives in their heart. And uh, I would tell Lee a lot. I would tell Lee, "Where's Jesus?" You know, and she learned to say, "In my heart." Well, I just started teaching Kaylee, who is two years old, about that. And <laughs> I told her the other day, I go, I go, Kaylee, "Where's Jesus?" And she goes, "He left." <laughs> <laughs> she says that about everything. I go, I go, Kaylee, "Where's mommy?" But she says in Spanish, "She left." Where's grandpa and grandma? They left. So when I tell her, Kaylee, where's Jesus? He left. <laughs> I thought you would get a crack as I did. Look, but look at what Peter says. It says, he isn't really being slowed about his promised return. Even though it sometimes seems that way. Here's the reason why. But he is waiting for the good reason that he is not willing that any should perish. And he is giving more time for sinners to repent. Now, let me say something. God has never made a person he doesn't love. Let me let let that sink in in your heart. God has never made a person he doesn't love everybody, everybody matters to him. You matter to him. Your kids matter to him. Your daughter-in-law matters to him. Your son-in-law matters to him. Your, girl, your daughter's boyfriend matters to him. He may not matter to you, but he matters to him. God has never made a person he doesn't love. Now, that is important to know for our sake, but also because of our mission. God doesn't want one single person to perish. What does it mean to perish? To perish is to be separated from, from God for all eternity. Another um, not so nice way, but very common way that we could say this is that God doesn't want anybody to end up in hell. God doesn't want anyone to experience eternal suffering. And the, the, the telling others... How they can have eternal life is the greatest thing that you and I can do for any person. Telling others how they can have eternal life is the greatest thing you and I can do for them. So what I want to do is I want to spend the rest of the time that I have um, talking to you about the good news. What is the good news? And and um, if you would allow me, um, I'm going to do a little word play. And I have good news for Christians. Okay, because here's the truth. Okay, at least my experience, most Christians don't like to evangelize. We don't. We used to. I've done this thing where, like, okay, we're gonna end the service early, and then we're gonna take the last fifteen minutes and just go out to the street and tell people that God loves them. And more than half the church would just go home. We, we, we used to do this thing where the last Wednesday of the month, um, we, we had a service, but we would also say, hey, a group of us are going to go out to our community and we're going to go tell them about the love of Jesus. Would you join us? And almost nobody would go. And I know why. I know why evangelism brings the fear of the Lord into your bones. And, and, and I have good news for you, okay? I have good news for you. Not the good news of the gospel, but I have good news for you. But then what I want to do is I want to help you know how to share the good news to nonbelievers. Okay, because that's another reason that most Christians are, are get nervous about evangelism because they're like, I don't know where to start. Do I start in Genesis? What sins do I talk about? And, and what if I don't know all the names of the disciples? And we, we, we think we need to know all this stuff just to be able to tell somebody the good news. And listen, the good news are rather simple. Okay, so is it okay if we do that? Okay, so let's talk about the good news. First, for the believer. If you're, if you're here this morning and you're not a believer, um, this is not for you, okay? You, you, you can check your Facebook post or whatever you want to do, but you're welcome to listen to us. For the believer, okay? Here's the good news for you. Fill this out in your outlines. Evangelism is a process, not an event. Evangelism is a process, not an event or another way that I would say this is evangelism is a process not a presentation okay most Christians most believers have not had positive experiences when it comes to evangelism right I remember as a, as a teenager, I think I was like 12 or 13, and our, the church we attended at the time, by the way, I've only attended two churches in my whole life, that's one thing I'm really proud of, um, but the church we attended um, on Sundays, it was in East LA, and they would take us down to Broadway, okay, Broadway, packed Street, to go and evangelize, and I remember this one time, as a 12-year-old, I started getting on fire for God, and um, we, we one of the things that when you get on fire for God, you want to tell people about God, so, so we... we... We went out, and there's this gentleman leaning on a tree, um, having his cigarette. And uh, I said, hey, can I have a few minutes of your time? And he said, sure. And and I said, I want to tell you about God. And he said, okay, awesome. And then I blanked out. (laughs) Because I thought he was going to say no. I was like, all right, just move on, you know, Jesus said. But he said, sure. And I was like, uh, 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 uh. And he looked at me and he says, young man, go get your story straight. Then come talk to me. And and I felt like a failure, and I think most of us um, have felt the way. And, you know, preachers don't help, right? Because preachers tell these stories of how they were at the supermarket, and they bumped into somebody, and the Lord told them to tell them about Jesus, and they came to Jesus, and everybody at the store came to Jesus, and revival broke out at the grocery store. And you're like, I can't even get my mom to come to church. (laughs) Right? Listen. One big reason we don't see success in evangelism is that we approach it as an event and not a process. Okay? Salvation is an event. Accepting Jesus is an event. Leading to people to Jesus, for the most part, is a process. And we need to understand that. Because a lot of times we feel that, that we have this pressure where like, okay, we only get one shot at telling them. And if they say no, they're doomed for hell. No, we need to approach it as a process. In the parable of the sower, if you're familiar with that, with that parable, we learn that the biggest determining factor to how people responded to the good news is how ready the soil was to receive the good news. Yeah. Okay, so evangelism is a process of preparing people, not just giving them a presentation and saying, Here's what I have to sell. Do you wanna buy? Okay, so I wanna share with you some of the stages, and there's many stages, but I thought I would just put some just to kinda help you understand. And here's the other thing you gotta know. Here's the other thing you gotta know, okay? Because understanding that evangelism is a process and not an event. It should give us courage, okay? But here's the other thing you need to know. This process varies in time. Some people come to Jesus the first time. Some people don't come to Jesus till they're 80. Some people, it takes years. For others, it takes months. Because we're all different, and we all navigate through this process different. So let me tell you some of the stages of the process. Um, the first one is where they meet a Christian. OK, we're, we're, we're talking about taking somebody who doesn't believe in Jesus to believe to believe in Jesus. And the first stage of the process is that they got to meet a Christian, but they don't know they're a Christian. OK, here they don't know. And this is where God puts you in a specific location as a believer to make a difference. And then the second thing that usually happens is that they like the Christian, although they don't know that person is Christian. I like, you know, they're very honest, they're very hardworking, they're very generous They're very happy. And one reason many people don't come to Jesus is because we're failing at that step. We're not being good representatives of Jesus. And they don't like us, so they're not going to like Jesus. Because we're supposed to be Jesus to them, right? Here's the third step. The third step is that then they become aware that you're a Christian. So first they meet you, they don't know you're a Christian. Second, they start liking you, or at least they don't not like you, and then they know you're a Christian. And the fourth thing is that then they develop a positive attitude towards Christians. You know what's one of the hardest thing of our times? Is that as Christians, we have a really bad reputation. If, if, sometime this week, when you open Google or Yahoo or whatever search engine you use, just type, why are Christians so... And you're not going to get any positive suggestions. Why are they so hateful? Why are they so religious? Why are they so angry? Why are they so anti-abortion? Shouldn't it be the other way? Shouldn't it be like, why are Christians so full of peace? Why are Christians so generous? So the fourth step is that they develop a positive attitude towards Christian. And then the fifth one is that they become aware of God. Because now that they know that we're Christians, we begin to share God with them, right? And we begin to bring God into the conversation. And then number six, then they develop a positive attitude towards God. Number seven, they recognize a personal need. They recognize a personal need. Now that they have a positive attitude towards God and they recognize that, that, hey, there's something missing in my life and God is the only one that can fill it. Then they accept God in His message, then they put their faith in Christ. I wanna tell you something. Um, I go to a barber shop where I get a haircut, and the guy does a good job, but the only reason I go there is because I'm trying to share the good news with my barber. I don't like this barber shop. They have rap that cusses, okay? They're, 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 half of the barbers are smoking weed in the bathroom. You know, um, they're talking about girls as if they were objects. Um, the music is very loud. They're cussing all the time. And, 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 and I, I'm, I'm not that I'm too good, but that's just not an environment I want to be around. But the only reason I keep going there is because God has put him in my heart and I have been talking to him about about coming to church. And first, I just friended him. I was like, I started talking to him. And he's such a really cool person. And 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 then one day he asked me, he goes, so where do you work? <laughs> I didn't lie. I just, I work at church. Oh, what's that like? It's all right. <laughs> it all depends on the day, you know? But, you know, he... he he obviously doesn't have the values that Jesus sh- tells us to have. So he'll share stuff with me, and I don't condemn him, you know. I just say, you know, I love my wife. I don't need a side chick, you know. It's, it's, I, I'm committed to her. Yeah. Oh, but don't you get bored? I go, no. <laughs> I'm, hey, why are you laughing? You have these conversations, too. Okay. But but here's the point. Here's the point. Here's the point. He invited me to his house. He invited me to his house to watch one of the boxing matches. And I went. I went to go watch it. Somebody just got it. I went to the boxing match. And I was there, and, and now he's starting to invite me to his birthday parties, you know. He started, and he even told me, like, hey, why don't you invite me to a Dodger game? I said, sure, let's go to a Dodger game. And I, I've invited him to church a couple of times. He doesn't know I'm the pastor, but he knows I come to church. <laughs> he doesn't know. If he ever comes, he's going to get the thrill of his life, you know. <laughs> but, but here's where I'm going. Here's where I'm going. I'm I'm understanding that it's a process. And I'm just working with him. And I'm being patient. And I've invited him at least five times. And all five times, he's flaked out. I can't give up. Because it's a process. So, now, what does knowing this process mean? What does it mean? Well, let me tell you what it doesn't mean. Then I'll tell you two things it means, okay? Here's what it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean... That all you need to do is give people the message. Well, I told them about Jesus. Now it's their responsibility. No, that's not what it means because the, because listen, sharing the good news is not a presentation, it's a process. Okay. So, so it's not just like, well, I'm just, I'm throwing them scriptures. Okay. Here's the other thing it doesn't mean it doesn't mean that all we need to do is live right before non believers. That's part of it, but that's not all. Some people say, well, I never tell people about Jesus other than with my actions. Okay? Well, you need to have actions, but you also need to be able to share the message. So what does this process mean? Well, let me tell you the two things it means. Number one, and I think you can fill these out in your outline. We need to become sensitive to where people are in the process. Let me use the Christian word. We need to have discernment. Of where people are in the process. Romans 2.4 says the following. Can't you see that his kindness is intended to churn you from your sins? His kindness. Listen, you may disagree with me here and it's okay. But I think it's foolish to quote scripture to somebody who doesn't recognize the word of God as the word of God. It's foolish. Well, the Bible says Well, they don't care about the Bible yet. The goal is to get them to care. So, so we need to become sensitive and invest in them. And listen, here's something that I learned simple human principle. People don't care about what you have to say till they know you care about them. And often we, we don't care about people, we just want to tell them. I told them, Pastor. They're a bunch of heathens. I just told them. Listen, isn't it true that before you came to Jesus, almost all of your relationships were were with non-believers, right? And isn't it true that the longer you are a believer, the less friendships you have with non-believers? And listen, I'm not talking here about going to the bar or to the club to to make friends to lead to Jesus. No, I'm not talking about participating in their sin, okay? Some people think that's okay. I do not. Okay? I do not. But here is where I am talking. I am talking about intentionally investing in 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 relationships with non-believers so that we can help them walk through the process so that they can receive Jesus. You know, you know what I was praying for you this morning? And, and I know some of you are going to be like, please don't pray for me when you think like that. Um, I was praying because the longer we've been a believer, the more we have forgotten how hopeless it felt to be without Jesus. We've forgotten, right? Because our family's all right. Our finances are all right. Or we're healthy, oh, you know. But we've forgotten how hopeless it felt to be without Jesus. And I was just praying this morning. I was saying, Lord, would you remind us how desperate, how horrible, how hopeless, how sad our lives were before we met you, and that we may think about those that don't know you yet and have a willingness to be able to invest in their lives? Listen, so you got to be sensitive. Let me tell you two seasons when people are open to jesus two seasons you got to pay attention to these two seasons number one is when misfortune happens when they get news that they have cancer when one of their kids is getting a divorce when when they're going through infidelity people are receptive to jesus and at those moments you got to have the sensitivity and the courage to say hey can i pray for you somebody was sharing with me that um, once they started coming to Dayspring that they started hearing about how we want to reach one person um, at a time. And it says that at work, their boss was kind of telling them of uh, like what their son was going through in that in her heart, she felt the Holy Spirit say, ask her if you can pray for her. She was like, but I could lose my job. She says she did it anyways. And that her boss said, would you pray for me? And he prayed for her. And he says that that opened the door to be able to to be able to share Jesus so when people are going through difficult situations they, they, they are open to to the gospel. The other um, uh, season when people are open is when they're starting a new season in their life. When people get married, when 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 we have our first child. Remember when you had your first child? It's like I better start going to church now. You know, like I don't want him growing up with my habits. You know, when when they move into a new town and so on and so on. So the first thing we need to do is become sensitive. Um, the second thing that we need to do is that as believers we need to commit to helping people move in the process. Not just knowing where they are, but, but, but we need to sense the urgency of our mission to say, okay, I'm going to be sensitive, but my goal is to lead people to the good news, to lead people to Jesus. And, and here's two things you can pray for, okay? Lord, where are they? Two, Lord, would you help me help them take the next step? Simple. And sometimes the next step is not even coming to church. Maybe it's inviting them over your house for dinner. Maybe the next step is not even inviting them to church, but saying, hey, would you come to a life group with me? You know, let me introduce you to a few Christians before I introduce you to all the Christians. (laughs) You know, listen, let me tell you this. 85, 85%, would you put that number up there? 85%. 85% of us came to Jesus because somebody else led us to Jesus. Okay, 85%. That means that we can't expect people to just show up in church. We can't expect people to just turn on the TV and say, oh, that sounds right, I'll accept Jesus. It's a relationship. Rick Warren says it this way, and I really love it. This is one of the approaches I have. He says, I want to build relationships with people so that there's a bridge. And Jesus can walk over from my heart to their heart. But we got to cultivate um, relationships. Okay. Number two. For non-believers. Okay. For non-believers. What do they need to know and do? What is it that they need to know and do? So, so I said many Christians. Um, we don't share the good news. Because we don't know where to start. Or what to share. Right. So. I, I want to I help you by, by um, asking two questions and helping you um, answer those questions, okay? When it comes to sharing the good news, when it comes to, to telling people about Jesus, there's two questions you need to answer, okay? First, what do they need to know? And second, what do they need to do? Okay, now listen to this. Most non-believers think they know what they need to know, and they think they know what they need to do. You know what that is? Here's what most non-believers think. They need to know and do to become a Christian. They got to be good people and go to church. To them, that's what Christianity is. But we know that's not true, right? We know church doesn't save. An old preacher said, there's a bus on its way to hell that passes by church. Okay? Okay? And we know that good people don't go to heaven. Okay, so we got to stop saying that at funerals. You know what the funeral mentality is? Everybody goes to heaven. Nobody ever goes to hell. Right? But we know that there's only one way. And that's Jesus. So good people don't go to heaven. Who goes to heaven? Forgiven people. Forgiven people, people who have recognized their sin and have asked Jesus to forgive their sins. So that's what non-Christians think they need to know and what they, that's what they think they need to do. So let me tell you what they need to know. Let's read this passage. Um, 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 6. I'm going to read it quick because we have baptisms and, and they're getting ready. Look at what it says. Let me now remind you, dear brothers and sisters, of what? Good news. I preached to you before You welcomed it then, and you still stand firm in it. It is this good news that what? Saves you. If you continue to believe the message I told you, unless, of course, you believe something that was never true in the first place. I wish I had time to talk about that. I pass on to you what was what? Most important. And what had also been passed on to me. Here it is. Christ died for our sins, just as the scripture said. How do we know Jesus died? He was buried. You know somebody died? They, and in those days, they wrapped you in about 140 pounds of cloths and oils and ointments. And if you weren't dead before, you were dead after. <laughs> so we know Jesus died. He, he didn't faint. He didn't go in hiding. No, he died. There's a tomb, okay? It says, Christ died for our sins, just as the scripture said. He was buried, and here's the other thing. He was raised from the dead on the third day, just as the scripture said. Listen to this. Here's how we know he was raised. He was seen by Peter, and then by the twelve. And after that, he was seen by more than 500 of his followers at one time, most of whom are still Alive. When this letter was written, those people that were saying, we saw Jesus come back to, we saw him dead and we saw him back alive. They were still alive. They weren't making it up. And I don't have time, but listen, they weren't making this up because these people that were saying that Jesus had come back to life, they were risking their life. They could have died for saying that. It's not, like, it's not like in our days, well, I believe in aliens. You know, you have nothing to lose other than maybe a few friendships. But in those days, say no, Jesus came back to life <laughs> could cost you your life. Okay? So here's what, 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 what non-believers need to know. Here's what you need to share. Number one, that Christ died for our sins. Would you fill that out? The first thing is, That Christ died for our sins. What is the good news? First is that Christ died for our sins. And we're all sinners, right? But here's the second thing. The second thing is that Christ rose from the dead. Okay, so the good news, it's it's one sentence with two parts. Christ died for our sins, but he also rose. In fact, look at the statement. Here's, you got to memorize this. Christ died for our sins and was buried and rose from the dead and was seen. That's the good news. That's what you share. And you say, well, that doesn't deal with anything else. Pastor, that's not true. The statement, Christ died for your sins, talks about how much he loves you. The statement, rose from the grave, speaks about how powerful he is. So that's where you start, okay? So here's what they need to do. Here's what they need to do. Okay, you you share that information. That's the gospel. You don't need to tell them about Genesis and Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers. No, no, no. Just tell them Christ died for your sins because you're a sinner. But he also rose so that we can have eternal life. Now, what do they need to do? Here's what they need to do. Fill this out in your outlines. They need to trust Christ as their savior. If you believe that He died for your sins and He rose from the dead, then you need to trust in Christ for your Savior. Romans 1.17 says this. This good news tells us that God makes us ready for heaven, makes us right in God's sights. When we put our faith and trust in Christ to what? Save us. This is accomplished from start to finish by what? By faith. Okay, really quick. Let me tell you what trust is, okay? Trust is not religion. Okay. Trust is not religion. Trust literally means this, to put all your weight on it. This past, uh, this a few months ago, we went to Seattle. If you've ever been to Seattle, they have the space needle, right? And they just remodeled it. Before it was a bunch of fencing, kind of wires that went around. But now they have, they have these um, walls of thick, clear glass. And you're you're high up there. And if you're a person that's afraid of heights, it's scary, okay? Now, here's what was going on. Everybody wanted a peak. But I could tell you that one of the things that everybody that went up there had to deal with is, can I trust this glass? Now, if somebody said, yeah, I trust it, but I, I don't need to go there. What does that mean? You know, Lorena and I, we, we took a picture, and I was going to show it to you guys. We took a picture, and we didn't even want to lean back. Because in the back of her mind, is like, what if it cracks? But you know what my two little daughters did do? Kaylee walked up to it and went. That's what it means to trust. To put, to put all your weight in it and say, listen, I believe That heaven, I believe that the way, I believe that the life is God. So I want to end with this because I need to end, okay? So you may still be thinking, well, what if somebody, what if I share the good news with people over a long time and they never accept? And here's, here's what you're really asking. What if I fail? That's really at the bottom that we're asking. What if I fail? Let me tell you something failure is not when nobody answers failure for us as christians is when we don't give them anything to answer to did you understand that failure is not somebody not accepting the message failure for us is not giving them the message to respond to we hope you enjoyed this message but before you go We want to extend an invitation to start a personal relationship with Jesus and declare Him your God. No one loves you like Jesus, and no one will impact your life for good like Jesus will. Would you make the following prayer your prayer? Heavenly Father, I repent of my wrongdoing. I open my heart and I want to have a personal relationship with you. I trust that Jesus died so I could be forgiven, but He didn't stay dead. He rose back to life so I could have eternal life.